the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Vegas 48 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts is where you can find over at MMA Junkies, well, it's oddscheckerus.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully you're forward to the fight. It is episode 300, and I'm recording it on um, Friday morning, uh, Vegas time for UFC Vegas 48, UFC uh, Fight Night 20111, um, UFC Fight Night, uh, nearly impromptu, minted main event, uh, Johnny Walker versus Jamal. That's right, Jamal. Jamal Hill, uh, Sean Connery's favorite. That's right. Um, as you can see by my <laughs> Beto Sean Connery posts on Twitter, that is so obscure and coded that I don't even think the few people that listen to this podcast really get. But it's okay because I'm fucking weird like that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> despite how I go about things. We- you know, I, I try to get to the accurate place to hopefully make us all some money. So that's what we're going to try to do here. Um, we've had some success. It's, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, coming off a really good week, which we'll recap. But, um, again, this week I'm feeling better than when I started about it. You know, this last crunch time of, of, of 24 to 48 hours of ironing out the place. Um, after I got done with my in-depth mains on Bellator and, and UFC, which of course I will get to, and you can find it at MMAJunkie.com. Uh, hopefully the Bellator one should be up around when, when this is going up. Um, but yeah, um, you know, still playing catch-up, still kind of butterfly effect backlogged. Not that you guys care to hear the excuses, but I do want to shout out to the good peeps on YouTube wondering why, what's the delays on the camera stuff and all that. Um... You know, because uh, aside from the the few, you know, and not even the few, I think only like one recently on last week's, um, uh, it was she was trying to troll me in the comments, but everybody else is really fucking cool to be honest. So that's why I apologize to the, you know, YouTube comments are the friendliest place. But the good thing, you know, about not having a big uh, following like this podcast is, um, you know, I don't get too many of them, so I, I, I try to keep track and, and and do my listeners. Justice, but it's been tough to get back on the messages, as you can tell. By the way, timestamps, as per usual, on these breakdown shows, if you're new, um, I timestamp it in the show notes, so if you want to skip me talking, slash my recaps, go to the breakdown, you can do that for when the UFC breakdown starts. I'll probably even put the Bellator talk when that starts as well. Um, And, of course, at the end of pretty much all, in case I forget, uh, breakdown shows, I will recap my picks and plays at the very end, if you're in a a rush, slash... I think it's always good to recap, but yeah, uh, like I was saying, wasn't as excited. Uh, a little, a little more. I think I've got a nice uh, a machine gun spray. We shall see, right? If it's nice, but um, answering some questions of some uh, some listeners. Um, shouts to uh, uh, 
Jerry Harper was just asking me some questions about bankroll and this and that. This is a great. This you know, everyone's got their own things, and bankroll and discipline is was actually probably the. It's one of the most important skills, and one of the skills that I took the longest to come around on, and I still don't have it now. By the way, um, everybody has their own things. Um, for example, thirty percent of your bankroll is kind of a, a round number you will hear as far as risking and wagering. It's not bad. Uh, thirty percent, you know. Um, this card, I will definitely be in the thirty percentile of the bankroll, and I won't even be uh, even betting more than I thought I was going to bet. Uh, it won't be as many bets as last week, and from what my winnings were last week, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm betting uh, less than what my my profit margin was for last week. If that makes sense as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see how we do. I think I spread out roughly four units, um, give or take, uh, between two events. So uh, we'll get to you those plays um, after some recaps, some quick notes, and uh, and whatnot. But, yeah, uh, 300 episodes. Um, you know, I'd like to th- I don't want to say that. I'd be lying if I said, oh, I don't think I would make that far, because despite my low self-esteem uh, and, and constant... Um, self-deprecation to a painful fault uh, that I do here. Um, I did expect to get this far. I, I expected it to be better, in fact. Uh, but at a certain point, I didn't think I was going to get this far once realities of, of many things hit. Finances, the space, um, burnout, likes, dislikes, things I still struggle with now, obviously, and I'm, I'm pretty open with you guys about that, right? Um, so it is a bit surprising, but, uh, this is not an acceptance speech. There is no award being given. Um, so I don't want to wax on about this, but I guess I'll just take it as an opportunity to say thank you for helping me get this long. Cause I probably wouldn't have got this long without you guys. I don't have uh, co-host or regular co-host for that matter, producers, uh, sponsors, um, any, any of that, uh, if the only financial help I've had is, is uh, for this show is from you guys. And I still have a, a table full of uh, stuff that I've used from funds from your guys' kind donations. Shout out to uh, my guy Pascal, uh, recent supporter over there, the PayPal uh, secure link over on MixedMarshallAnalyst.com that supports this here free show that's been free for half a decade. And I will continue to give to you slash give to you free for as long as possible. Uh, but that being said, man, your guys' support does go a long way. Some of you, like the Tony C's of the world, uh, you know, or the Rob G's of the world, so on and so forth, many uh, other of you um, have, have hit that a little too much. But 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 it is there for anybody that does want to support this show. Um, you know, I don't ask for, for fees or this or that or or uh, tips or percentages of anybody's winnings. That's all. That's all you guys, man. I'm here to help. If I can be a helpful reference point, that's awesome. Uh, but you guys don't owe me anything because I don't promise you anything. I'm here as hopefully as a useful reference point, and my reward uh, for being a useful reference point ideally would be more listeners, those listeners spreading the word, um, you know, because that is just as much, if not uh, as important, right, uh, as as any kind of financial things. But those who ask about Patreons or financial things, I do have a secure PayPal link to the right side of MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Host this here show. Links in the show notes there as well. Uh, at Dan Tom MMA is where you can find me on Twitter. In my link tree, I also provide a uh, safe, secure PayPal donation link if you want to donate to the show. And again, as I talked about camera equipment, all that stuff, it does 
go to there. Um, so shout to Pascal for hitting the PayPal, um, and shout to everybody for their, their 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 support for getting me to 300. And um, they're just support in, in tough times. I don't with violin people like oh your luck turns around, and I keep trying to like, you know I know I I'm very open and I, I talk about things to a fault on this show, but but you know in my defense I I, I like to think I try to you know perspective uh, put put things in perspective and, and and brush things off and say you know I don't got it that bad if someone says I got it bad or I'll try to point to someone else you know the other people have it worse you know um, yada yada that 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 old tale. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, you know, uh, I was going through some stuff last week with, uh, you know, um, my, uh, my brother-in-law, he's long road to recovery, like a year's road to recovery, got in, like his major accident, uh, just breaking a bunch of things, shattering shoulders, ribs, sternums, all that stuff. Um, around Red, Red Rocks, around the mountains out, outside here and a different part of the mountains, more Mount Charleston, Cow Canyon to be specific. Uh, last time I recorded you guys, my uh, kickboxing coach Tim Lane uh, went missing, and if you could tell by the way I was talking about it, I didn't want to say anything to jinx it. Bachi, as we say in Chinese, bachi. It's like bad luck. You know, it's like jinx, jinxing. Bachi is like the equivalent, I guess, to, to jinxing something. And I definitely didn't want to spread any bachi. Not that it fucking mattered, but um, I uh, yeah. Especially if you guys know my history or the gym's history, I should say. Um, you know, uh, I slash the gym has already gone through this with Robert Fallis, not but you know, four four or five years ago. Different. I think, I think Robert was Calico Basin or somewhere around this. I don't know. Doesn't fucking matter. Same theme. Um, I want to say, forgive me for sharing or if I'm out of school on details, it's been a while, I cared to look it up, but, or, but I believe Robert was in the car and then Tim was, uh, of course, uh, at the apex of a mountain, um, according to my guy's, uh, IG, uh, Eric Nixick, whom I messaged and sent out a general post just to my Extreme Couture family because I wasn't as close to Tim as I was with Fallis and there's plenty of people at that gym that was closer to both those guys than I was so I'm not going to try to make a, a, a you know play a violin for a pat on my back or make anything bigger than it w- was but <clears throat> especially with Fallis and at the time well, uh, I know, you know and, and my own history and struggles with depression and losing people to suicide um, make these things kind of brings all that back for me um, so even though I'm, I don't and close and I'm definitely not trying to make it you know to be like with Tim or anything like that um, it did really fuck with me so thank you guys for the positive messages but really I just you know if you could send that love to the Extreme Couture family and everybody there <clears throat> uh, and who's been there you know, especially lately and through the years, uh, whereas I, I haven't, uh, not by my choice, health, pandemic, bunch of things, newfound responsibilities, all this other stuff, life, but still, this is why it breaks my heart that I, I'm not there regularly, not just for my own selfish needs and help and health, I should say, but 
Not that I could really make a difference in the health of others, but you never know. And, you know, Tim, people aren't, it's not hyperbole. He was one of those people in the gym that really just brightened your fucking day. Um, always gave that positive energy. If you've heard me talk about, you know, if you could kick someone one place, what's the one place you want to kick someone, the most effective thing? You know, people will say, you know, spinning heel kick, Adam Barbosa, ball kick to the nuts. If someone's trying to be clever and... That's uh, why spring liver kick. Uh, that setup is all taken from Tim. Uh, counterbalancing spins, back fists. We talk about it. You know, and we talk about Johnny Walker's. Uh, <clears throat> I believe he does a similar variation of it when when he fought Ledet. I believe, but sometimes the best way to counterbalance a spinning attack like a spin kick is a spinning back fist the other way. Um, oddly enough, it's one of the. It sounds chaotic. Uh, you're stacking chaos on chaos, but. You know, Tim always broke it down in a way on why that's actually a safer counterbalance. Um, a lot of things. A lot of things that I'll never forget and, and appreciate. My heart goes to his, his his beautiful wife who can't imagine what she's going through. His family. Of course, his friends uh, slash family, Extreme Couture family. Um, I just want to give a, you know, my heart's to them and, and a rest in peace to, to Tim. And my heart... And it's so hard, and I feel so terrible. That's the reason why I tried it, because I've been having to kind of protect myself to a certain extent, and not just protect myself, but just really just not common sense, but, like, by the numbers, you know? I'm not uber popular, but, you know, fuck, man, especially, like, times like now, my, my, my messages are backlogged, and it's hard to get to everybody. That being said, I try my best to, and I like to think that um, I keep my door open to those in need. And I'd like to remind you guys to not just keep your doors open, but maybe, and this goes for me, maybe we shall be a little more proactive with our relationship pursuits and making sure those relationships, friendships, and, and people are okay. Because I can tell you that, that you know, this stuff is real. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's not fun. So, all right, I didn't want to get too much into that, but, but yeah. Um, just a follow-up from last week. Uh, all right, let's go UFC 1430, UFC 271. Recap. 13-1 uh, in overall in picks, 2-0 in parlay pieces, 3-0 in straight plays, 2-0 in props, 3-1 in fight night ads. It was a really good night. Did really well. A lot of passes ended up cashing. I mean, the only thing we got wrong was the main event. Even for having a you know an admitted um, contrarian pick, admitted you could accuse me of my heart pick. Um, I did provide analysis that I was proud of with that pick, and I would argue that the analysis um, still shined uh, through, which was, uh, of course, um, Israel Adesanya. Uh, defeating Robert Whitaker for the second time this time by unanimous decision um I know there was I, I had no issues with the scorecards live I didn't go back to rewatch it but I still don't have an issue with it I I, I really tried to fiddle down my filter and stuff so I, I I didn't see a lot of the Robert Whitaker slash scorecard slash Robert Whitaker was Rob talk that people were talking about um but I did see a lot of discourse just in general about the scoring and this and that and I don't know. Um, it's not that these aren't valid talking points or things like that. I just, 
I don't know. I feel like every week we're we're, we're on something, and, and, and same goes for me. I'm not throwing shade, you know. Same can be said about me. But I didn't see an issue with this too much. Um, I saw some conjecture about, like, uh, leg kick versus jab. And, again, these things like everything. It's a case-by-case -case scenario, just like MMA is a case-by-case -case scenario, right? Styles, right? Largely, which is what I focus on. Um, and, um, you know, to me, it, aside from the verbal confirmation of Whitaker saying the leg kicks bothered him in his corner, um, it looked that way. And kind of as we talked about, you know, when I, I broke down that Brunson Silva scorecard uh, for my guy Tony C., is that body language is just huge. And shout out to my guy Chris Rennie, um, who I agreed with. Um, he said among the conjecture, I think he's tweeted something, people weren't talking about the body language enough. And that's true. And we can debate on the success of the jabs, which something that I and, and others called for for Whitaker. He was going to need to attach to that jab, which he didn't didn't do uh, enough slash successfully. Um, <clears throat> but it was, a you know, not too... You know, use a typical term, but yeah, it was it was it was a, it was a, it was a chess match of sorts, and even though Adesanya gave some of that body language of the oh it didn't bother me and oh you know what that means it bothered him, and I say that to say that you know even if a judge doesn't consciously think that subconsciously, you know again he could count that against Adesanya because however he's going about it, at the end of the day, he's acknowledging a shot, which is always bad. You should never acknowledge a shot, right? No sell, no sell, no sell. Um, however, uh, I don't feel like that weighed as much as to not just the kicks, but Rob's reaction to the kicks, the stance, the, you know, that thing where, like, sometimes your leg maybe is kind of light, and uh, they do kind of, uh, debase it a bit with their leg kick so you kind of go with the motion and do one of those kind of fancy spins like oh I meant to spin you know like a traditional martial arts fake spin before a kick or instead of a kick that uh, never came kind of a deal one of those you know uh, maybe a more other apt way to describe this you know, guys know that shoot box Vanderlei Silva one leg up hopping in a circle kind of a motion like you know when someone gets the leg kick they almost do that version of that Sometimes, again, legitimately, maybe they catch them at the wrong time and they could care less and they're just being feeling flowy. And that can still be bad because the judge can read that as being hurt. Or sometimes, which is how I read it, like, ooh, we felt that one. So that's why I edged it toward Adesanya. But the thing what people have to realize who can't believe it was scored for Whitaker or this or that, and not that I want to add fuel to that fire, but to play devil's advocate. And... Is um you know and I, I think Zane Simon tweeted this and and I I know I, I he many others have said this many times before as well but it, 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 it's it's it, it, it's worth repeating which is when you have a low output round as technical and as air quotes clear as you want to think it is when there's ultimately not much being done by criteria, by both criteria of MMA and both by human nature, you leave the door open for the wind to blow. <laughs> you know, which way the round's gonna go, all right? You leave that door, whether whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, them's the facts, you know? Um, again, one of, the, one of the checklists for controversial decisions, acknowledgements of shots, body language, right? Um, visible damage. Uh, which you could see some of that on 
uh, Whitaker's leg, I believe, right? Uh, and another thing is, you know, inactivity. Inactivity leaves the door open. I mean, these are like these common check marks when you go through an episode like me and, and Scott Fontana did where uh, we look at controversial decisions. There, there are certain, whether you agree, disagree, strong, not strong, mild, the common thread through it all are a lot of those things that I, I, I mark off and name off there. So these are things you, you need to keep in mind. Um, I won't say too much about Adesanya. I didn't really keep, catch up on too many of the post-fight interviews. All, all I'll say is, you know, uh, shouts to Trent uh, Reinsmith, who I believe uh, wrote an article about this, but trickle-down theory is kind of BS. It's not something that I'd, I'd be confident about, particularly in the MMA arena, and... Even as explained by Adesanya's own manager, if you don't reveal your pay, you're essentially just protecting the promotion, arguably at that point, and trickle-down theories that you claim can't work. And that was his own manager on the same program that he was on. Um, but Adesanya, you know, uh, and maybe he said different things. Uh, I heard him say some positive things about Ninganu since, but I also heard him, you know, may or may not have taken some jabs. Um, I, know, I know Rockhold... Took some jabs or saying something about, you know, stand up for your African brothers or whatever. I don't know what that was about. Uh, I don't recall at this point, but it was like months ago. But um, Adesanya was saying some very like, he's sounding like both Connor and Cormier at their at their at their company men most. And I I I loved Connor early on. Cage Warriors days when he was only doing interviews with MMA Junkie when most people didn't know who the fuck he was. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, Cormier really is a nice guy in person regardless of, you know, the kind of company man direction he's taken in recent years, but it's definitely been been tough, right? And I remember Cormier saying, I believe, I want to say, saying something similar to Usman in regards to Woodley kind of a deal. And Woodley would be Nagano in this situation. And what Cormier said, I believe, or what... Usman, if I remember this correctly, said when quoting Cormier's advice to him when becoming champion, said, "Don't do it like some guys, and make statements. You know, you know, uh, uh, you know, and make headlines or statements in public. Um, just smile, kind of, you know, be the company man and, and do your negotiating behind the scenes." And I'm not saying um, there's not truth or that's not. You know, uh, you know, th there's no correctness in context or nuance. To that I'm not saying any of that, but I'm just saying it's just smacks real familiar. You know, and it almost felt like he was throwing shade when he was saying he was just like, "Hey, I don't, you know, I handle my business, you know, behind the scenes." Is that when he's talking about coming into fight week, um, dealing with the UFC, where we just saw just the UFC before Ninganu, you know, coming in, you know. Um, with, you know, contentiousness on his deal. And, um, and yeah, I mean, and, and I, you know, and, and we saw that, that BS narrative, he's cocky, he's traveling the world. And it's like, none of that <laughs> was true. That was all just, you know, UFC negotiating narrative. And then, you know, UFC, you know, um, and again, I, I could care less about, uh, not could care less, but I'm not gonna, you know, waste time on this Joe Rogan stuff. But like him stepping in and like 
it would have been legitimate. Like Dana would have been legitimate to actually hear, you know, Dana's thoughts on it, especially with the news that would come later and Dana's comments that would come later to said news that counteracted his own company um, about Rogan sitting out. And we really missed a window into that if, you know, Izzy didn't white knight for Dana, <laughs> for Dana right there to white knight for Joe. Um, you know, and defend the use of the N-word and all that stuff or whatever the, the heck is going on. Anyways, um, so I know it's not popular and it's going to come off as a hater. I'm happy for Izzy that he got paid, by the way. I'm just, I know it's not popular. I'm just saying, I, I said this about Jones. I said this about Connor. Before these things happen, I've pretty much, more accurate than my analysis has been some of the biggest character swings I've called for over a decade now before it happened. It's weird, it's useless, it's nothing I'm not proud of, but for what it's worth, getting a lot of, uh, hearing a lot of the things, you know, Connor, Jones, Cormier, yeah, I'm hearing a lot of the, the things I don't <laughs> like about those particular people. Um, I, I feel like Izzy's inkling down that path. Uh, hopefully he stays true to the things, other things that he said because he said plenty of good things. And I like Izzy, he's a fantastic, amazing uh, entertaining martial artist. I know he's had some lackluster affairs, but uh, for people to understand his style and appreciate technical stuff, it's not that bad, I guess, or whatever. So whatever, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just yeah. Um, anyways, didn't play that fight. Good reason. Uh, I was going to play this fight, like I said, on the podcast in the co-main event. Tattoo of Asa defeats Derek Lewis, excuse me, via KO. Um... And, um, yeah, um, you know, I can't say I'm, I'm mad that I didn't play it because I was already up. So it was volatile heavyweight fights. And, you know, shoot, Derek Lewis almost had tied to, to Ivasa out of there. Um, shout out to uh, two men on, on Tangra Dome. Probably had the funniest uh, recap breakdown of this fight saying, like, tied to Ivasa. <laughs> Actually worked like behind, tried to work behind the jab, measured, worked under the clinch, elbowed, kneed. Like, pretty systematic and fundamental where Derek Lewis, like, his game plan was to wrestle. And both were successful. And, and the joke there is just kind of like, these are kind of like meme fighters, you know, stereotypically, so to speak. So, uh, it was fucking hilarious and awesome, this fight. It was was just was just great. And again, sometimes... Um, shout out, by the way, to, to, uh, I know Mike Swick, by the way, sh uh, dealing with cancer. Shout out to, um, Sean Carey, um, former handicapper in this space, uh, been on podcasts like Half the Battle, um, MMA Analysis, uh, podcasts with shows that I've, I've shouted and, and people that have been on this show or I've worked with and, and been on their show. Um... I don't know Sean too personally, but I, I retweeted his GoFundMe. Um, you know, bad for cancer funds uh, and whatnot. But I remember Sean saying something. There's a breakdown. Sometimes you, sometimes you got to be stubborn. Even if you're losing money and you're wrong, um, if you really believe in your read, you got to stick with it. And how many times has it happened to me, and, and I'm sure you on the other side of this microphone, where you're like, oh, I always bet against this guy. And then I'm like, you know what? I learned my lesson. Fine. I'm going to pick him. And I'm going to bet him. Or I'm not going to bet him, but I'm not going to bet against him for once. And boom, you leave money on the table. Wrong slash wrong, leave money on the table. Wrong, lose money. All the above, right? Whatever. 
and um, and and that was and and I always think of uh, what Sean Carey said about that, and that was kind of my line of thought with doubling down, and, and even though I looked stupid for picking against Derek Lewis, I stuck with him. Like no, this guy, I mean, I, this guy outside of you know that last fight against Dawkins, he traditionally does bad against strikers, and outside of his fight against Cormier, he does excellent against wrestlers. Uh, and that proved, again, to be true result-wise, at least, even though he did better at wrestling and almost got the striker out of there. Um, Derek Lewis did, but uh, it was all uh, Bam Bam, man. And uh, that was definitely feel-good. Um, Jared Cannonier defeated Derek Brunson. This was another money left on the table. I would have bet this one, too. I, I just didn't have a house that offered fight ends in round two. Um, and even though... I feel like the consensus pick for Can. I was seeing a lot of Cannonier round two picks. Um, I still feel like stand by my Derek Brunson or the fight ends in round two because Derek Brunson. Um, lest we not forget, I didn't go back to rewatch, but I'm pretty sure he brocked, uh, dropped and rocked Cannonier, not just you know got him to his ground and 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 established his winning conditions. Um, of course, I didn't think he was going to be able to complete on his winning conditions and would tire himself trying to reestablish him, which is what happened, which is why. I picked Cannoneer particularly in the second. But uh, you were getting plus 400 in the neighborhood if you were at a house that offered that, which I tweeted. Of course, Cannoneer still won. Second round, KO. Next fight, Hanato Moicano. What would Hanato Moicano do? Defeated Alexander Hernandez. Marky Mark from Fear. Um, Yeah, this one went pretty much as, as, as I thought, too. Uh, I, I even said in my breakdown here and... Written-wise, it said Moicano second-round submission. And, uh, of course, I ended up betting Moicano inside the distance, Moicano second round. And then I laid the Moicano money line, which I added to cover in case he got a decision. And, nope, all three of them cash. And that sent me to the moon, Alice, to the moon. Um, by the way, missed notes from last one. Somebody tweeted something like... Uh, I forget what the context was, but someone tweeted me like, Moicano seems like something happened to him when he was a small boy. Like, someone tweeted that at me, and I was just like, what, like, like, what, did he spend too much time in Sean Connery's law from Finding Forrest at Jamal? Oh, Renato. Yes. You're a bit skinny, but you'll do. <laughs> do you know the Hansi Joba? Sorry. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, right? Sorry, but uh, yeah, I don't know where that came from, but I was just like, wow, I, I, I don't know what that vibe would be, but I don't think Mike kind of gives off that vibe. Like, he was he was touched as a kid. I mean, he does have random outbursts of anger. Wow, we're really getting into it here on the podcast, but these are the kind of tweets that I get, folks. I mean, I can't complain, you know? It's like, you know? It's like a therapist told me, maybe, or may, may have heard it, uh, may have heard this secondhand. Um, you know, you attract. Well, of course, uh, of course, you're attracting certain fish. Look at the fucking rod you're using, you know. <laughs> and that rod is this podcast, and my ridiculous sense of humor. Bobby King Green defeated Nazareth Hackbrest. I know he has a fight booked as of this podcast, which I don't like him finally getting his main event due. Bobby Green, spoiler alert, um, against Islam Makhachev, but we'll break that down next week. Bobby Green came through here for me and many backers of the PYM podcast here, Protect Your Neck podcast, at the PYM podcast on social, social platforms. But yeah, I laid the chalk on Bobby Green. 
and he did the damn thing. Um, it's great to see everybody finally coming around to Bobby Green from the crowd to the pundits. Uh, credit to the commentators. They've always been doing a good job, low-key, talking about Bobby Green. But just so many bad narratives up till recently that I felt like I always hear on them. So, you know, people are starting to represent and respect. And, you know, again, folks, not to toot my own horn, but uh, who's, uh, who's been a big Bobby Green fan forever and telling me he's been criminally underrated in his lines? This guy. He's got two thumbs like Jamel. This guy. Um, another missed note for the next fight. Uh, Andre Arlovsky reminded me of fucking, like, uh... What does this have? This? Uh, um, oh, Nodder and Foul Shouts. Yeah. Uh, Arlovsky reminded me of, like, Tony Soprano in his, like, his interview. He just had that, like, old Italian mafia dad energy. Like, really? Hmm? You wonder what I'm gonna do? <laughs> okay, you'll see. Like he, that that was his energy, and it, I was already on Arlovsky, but that just made me more confident to uh, to play him. Um, and shouts to uh, uh, those of you who tweeted at me the uh, you saw the Arlovsky nodders and his uh, fly fishing for fouls. Anytime uh, anything close to a foul comes his way, he snatches it up and gets the call, takes a breather. It was such vet shit. Like, shouts to my guy Brazchuk. It was the most Orlovsky fight Orlovsky ever Orlovskied. For sure. Um, and he cashed. Um, the only thing that didn't cash here was the ad. And I, I did a little late ad after talking to my guy Aaron. And I added around the plus 500 mark, I think, for Orlovsky by KO. And you know what? He landed Vandera clean uh, a bunch of times, but didn't get him out of there. I know he hasn't gotten anybody out of there in like half a decade. This felt like a matchup that it could have been, and I was uh, on the over for my parlay and on Arlovsky straight up. So, like, uh, um, I wanted the KO to hedge out because I was mainly exposed heavily on that over, right? So, um, I just took a small sprinkle there. You know, I didn't have to take much. I think it was like 0.7 or 0.17 or something stupidly small. And that was literally the only miss of the night. Um... Casey O'Neill defeated Roxanne Modafferi by unanimous decision. Uh, like I called, I didn't bet because it was chalk, and I wasn't sure if it was going to get there. But O'Neill was part of an adjusted parlay since um, Matt Schnell and uh, Alex Perez got canceled for the billionth time. Um, shouts to Roxy. Uh, Kyler Phillips defeated Marcelo Rojo by submission. Um, like I called, but I didn't play. Um, I wanted a little bit more plus money, and I was already more exposed than I wanted to <laughs> with the um, with the uh, with the under in this fight. Um, but uh, it hits, and uh, yeah, so that that cashes the over with the over parlay for plus one forty seven or whatever it was with Orlovsky Vandera, uh, Carlos Olberg Fantasy Jewish Fight League uh, defeated Fabio Charant. Uh, P.S. That the uh, trolls and like last week's comment was uh, complaining about that, um, like trying to call me racist for uh, for that bit, which is funny because like at least <laughs> at least two Jewish listeners of the show um, requested and and said they would be disappointed if I didn't do before last week's show if I didn't do it. Um, one of which co-hosted this show multiple times, but anyways. Um, you know, you know, one of the only media media members calling out uh, 
popular fighter like Rose, and I mean, it's just anti-Semitic remarks. Um, you know, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. But again, you know what, folks? That being said, and even though that person was just trying to troll and whatever and say, like, oh, I thought you were woke. It's like, okay, well, now you clearly gave away what you were trying to do here. Um, and I always love those giveaways because people, they call me like, you know, you're a lib or what? Like, I am not a fucking lib. I'm not, fuck- not left or right. Not centrist either. I don't associate with any of that shit. I don't call myself woke. Um, I just write to remind people that this is an anti-racist uh, anti-homophobic, anti-hate space because there's just too much of that bullshit. That's not really anything crazy to say, folks. Um, I, I, I think that should be a fucking bare minimum. Call me crazy. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Uh, but that being said, you know what? I, I, I'm not beyond fucking saying offensive shit. Um, being racially insensitive plenty of times growing up or maybe not even too far in the past. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I am still growing myself, folks. Uh, so I definitely don't mean to offend any of my Jewish brothers or sisters. I always try to keep things not just fun, but obviously fun, but like like punching up than punching down is something I try to do. So hopefully that comes across. It's definitely not my intention to punch down. Definitely just uh, punching up slash punching into the ironic and just having fun. So uh, yeah, Olberg comes through, man, for the, uh, uh, for the, for the, you know, for the, uh, for the tribe, baby. Um, he defeated Sharon. Um, stayed away from that one. Ronnie Lawrence defeated Mana Martinez. One of the missed notes. Mana defeated Casey Jones. Pain 101. Uh, but he did not defeat uh, Ronnie Lawrence, who um, cashes by decision for half a unit as well as closes the parlay with Casey O'Neill. That was an adjusted one because, again, Perez was out. Jacob Malkoon wrestled A.J. Dobson to a decision, didn't play it, but when, as I said, played Douglas Silva, Draj as a dog, and boy, did I get a scare. Sergey Morozov looked way improved, man. He was just working on Draj over, but Draj is a vet, man. He bounced back, and um, he had the big cage to work in, and uh, it was enough to both sting Morozov and, um, uh, you know, not allow him to recover. So, um... Yeah, I, I like that. That was a nice cash. Maxim Grisham defeated Thick Willie. Was rooting for Thick Willie and the betters out there, but uh, Grisham by decision was going to be a tough stylistic matchup that it was, and Willie came in extra thick. Um, it's funny everyone was calling him extra thick Willie, and uh, you know when I was talking to my girlfriend later that night, I was like, "Oh, by the way, Thick Willie fought tonight." She's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He came in, and he came in like 12 pounds over, and she went without a beat. She went, extra thick, Willie. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Willie fucking thick comes. I hope he bounces back with a good matchup. Jeremiah's, Jeremiah was bullfrog. Defeated Mike. Mathitha. They wanted to call him Blood Diamond, but he got... Grounded by Jeremiah Wells. Um, yeah, that that should have been just like fucking max play for everybody, right? Like the parlay leg, missed opportunity, yada yada, mismatch. I should have seen it. I just was avoiding it. It was way down on the card. Grats if you got that. All right, that was the uh, recap. Thirty nine. Uh, Thirty seven. That ended, and then we will move uh, to. Uh, Bellator. 
274 is going down on Saturday as well. That is headlined by uh, Neiman Gracie versus Logan Storley. Um, some other matchups on there, which I guess I, I can uh, I can go through. But right now, um, right now, right now, we want to kick out the jams, motherfucker. Um, Neiman Gracie, minus 190. Money's been coming in on him. It was like minus 150 or so, I swear, like when I did my, my breakdown. Um, and Logan Story, that's a plus 160, but I get it. Um, it shouldn't affect, you won't probably get as, as high numbers if you want to tell me here, but you still get plus numbers the way I played it. I love Logan Storley and, um, really, uh, am high on his, 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 you know, uh, maybe not potential as in like he's going to be the world beating dominant champion, but he's going to be up there, you know, he's going to be a tough guy to beat and, uh, maybe he should go to 155. We'll see. I don't know. But uh, this this is a tough stylistic matchup for him in every way. He can't not fight without wrestling, and he's gonna go into a, a dangerous uh, submission guy. Not just any dangerous submission guy, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt, who like is like actually embraced, you know, no gi stuff slash no gi leg locks with John Danaher. Um, which I think he's going to leg lock Storley. Uh, Lo Logan Storley got scared from the elevations and butterfly threats, which could have lead leaded to leg lock entanglements when he fought um, Dante. Uh, <clears throat> what is it? Um, uh, Shiro, uh, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt. Um, and I believe wrestled a bit himself, but yeah. If that guy scared him, what's Neiman Gracie's going to do if he gets him down, right? And secondly, Neiman Gracie's actually gotten much better at wrestling uh, himself, even taking guys like Ed Ruth, who... Um, Storley's really impressive. He's, like, one of the few... Part of one of the few states where you can, like, win state champ uh, more than four times. He won it six times. Like, so he was, like, a seventh grader wrestling an eleventh grader to win his first one, in other words, which is crazy. Um, and he also qualified as a Division One All-American level. Each time um, was in Big Ten Conference Finals all four years. He only was a finalist one year, I think, in 2012, and he lost to a guy named Ed Ruth. Unfortunately for him, Ed Ruth was in his division. Um, but, and I know the math doesn't always work out, and Ed Ruth was tired, and his ceiling has been adjusted since. And yada, yada, but, you know, who uh, was out wrestling Ed Ruth by the end of it um, and putting him in submissions in danger all the way through, that was, of course, Neiman Gracie, who's only gotten better at wrestling since then. And more importantly, he's only gotten better at striking. I think his uppercuts are going to be really useful. He's been using them a lot as a counter. And that's going to be perfect for a guy who shells and dips as much as Storley does. Um, Storley does do good when he commits to crosses of rolling his head off center. But he'll usually still dip into a shot, so he can still get hit with an uppercut. And uh, other aside from that, and uh, some kind of a inside slip slash faint, uh, level-changing feints that he does, uh, and can parlay to an inside slip uh, overhand right. Aside from that, he really is vacant with the head movement. Um, fairly hittable. And I like that Neiman Gracie, not just getting out of the gi, going to no gi, going to Danaher, death squad. Uh, travels across the United States, doing boxing over at Rufka Gym, doing Muay Thai with the great Rafael Cordero, and, and getting you know hard sparring in that round. Really showing that he's a Gracie, uh, showing that he's a fighter, sorry, and not a Gracie just there for the glamour, you know. Um, 
you know, and, and he, he must not be afraid to get hit because he's shown a good chin and good resilience, mental and physical in the past, most importantly, and also, again, training in a very tough kind of, you know, um, you know, uh, almost like Dutch-style room, just hard, hard striking kind of a room, right? Um, even though it's not necessarily the style of kickboxing Cordero has, but you know what I mean? It's as far as those uh, those rooms like that, like a Mike's Gym or a, or a you know, Henry Oof's Gym, you know, um, Sanford or something like that. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, uh, and, uh, and, and what was I saying? But, yeah, I like that Gracie is, um, but, yeah, I like that Gracie's doing that, and, he, you know, it's kind of like a an early Charles Oliveira mode is hopefully what he's going for. You know, Muay Thai, you got good chin and t pretty good chin. He's more durable than Charles Oliveira. Um, uh, he's a higher rank with more grappling experience and credentials than Charles Oliveira has or had, especially then. So, yeah, man, if he goes forward with a, a potent Muay Thai game that he can both come forward, blitz, combo, and counter with already, um... Elbows, knees, kicks. Uh, he already attacks all levels. Um, and he's got a leg lock game. And he's getting better at jujitsu. Uh, or wrestling, I should say, offensively. Um, I think it's a really tough fight for Logan Storley. Um, and I feel like... And also, you know, Storley, it's like, okay, well, maybe he outpositions him and wrestles him. We've seen, you know... Um, we've seen him in some positions, you know, uh, before... Um, Neiman Gracie, you know, people have been able to stay on top of him without getting getting uh, subbed or even as close to getting subbed as Ruth has before. I look at Jason Jackson, but I will say that I, I don't think that was a robbery. Um, it was a really it was essentially comes down to how you score round. It's just a weird fight to score. It comes down to how you score round one, which the damaged fighter was Jackson, but the damage came from the fence and. Even though he probably technically landed more meaningful strikes, regardless of what the fuck the stats say, who cares if they back it up or not, um, there was enough. It wasn't by a lot. There wasn't a lot slash by a lot. So the damage plus the groundwork, a little bit of ground and pound, sub attempts, back takes transitions. Um, I I probably would have leaned live and rewatching. I, I I leaned Gracie that first round, but then even the next two rounds are weird too because I can't remember. I think. I think you get you give one to or you give two to Jackson and three to Gracie by my count, but that would be strange to some people because the round two that I would give to Jackson, Gracie more convincingly took that in many people's eyes because he gets a, 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 a lot of control time and I believe ends in top position. But Gracie does even less attacking wise than he did in the first round with that top position and. Um, Jackson lands even more harder and more consistent shots in the first half of the round that edged it toward him, in my opinion. Whereas Jackson gets more of the top time in the third round, but I give it to Gracie because he, again, he did more of the damage and was trying to push the fight more. So it's kind of weird um, how you score that. But anyways, um, the one thing is, is that Gracie's not getting tired in any of these fights. You know, he's getting stronger in five-round affairs. He has more experience in five-round affairs, whereas Storley, even though he's a high-paced, uh, well-conditioned athlete who doesn't cut a lot of weight, um, it comes from the wrestling and the grind set background, uh, looks to push a high pace, all these things, and that's how he tends to beat guys. He's also consistently getting tired um, and hurt even in, in some third rounds when he gets there. 
Um, he even doesn't even have like a ton of uh, three-round decision experience as you would expect a spamming wrestler like himself, much less five rounds, much less getting ready for five rounds like Neiman Gracie has had. And even looking at those five-round fights, he loses the unanimous decision of Fitch. But like, he has Fitch in trouble in rounds either three or four with some submissions, uh, or, or McDonald, I should say, and it hurts him to where McDonald's limping after the fight, or to where Gracie actually did more damage than McDonald, arguably, when you look at how they're walking and how they are acting after the fight. Um, and then Gracie also has his strongest round in the fifth, um, taking down McDonald and taking it to him, despite losing the fight uh, every card up till then, arguably. So again, mentally, physically, durably, cardio, gas tank, Gracie's going to keep coming. You have to stop him. And Storley's not going to stop him. And if Storley's getting tired in the third round, what's it going to be like when he's just got a guy who's literally not giving him a break? Like, no matter what position, clinch, at range, punching, kicking, bottom, leg entanglement, 50-50, top, back, um, dog fight, you're constantly going to have to be working. Um, and I trust... Gracie's gas tank and durability so you could play him by sub I just took him inside the distance because it was still plus money at plus 115 um, I think sub is plus 215 so it's uh, I think wow it's plus 150 at some places Gracie inside the distance so if you can get that I only got plus 115 I got a lower number I ain't gonna front I put th uh, 0.75 three quarter unit uh, on that, uh, and then what I also did was um, I don't know what the odds are going to be for round three, four, and five in, in in my other houses, but in my bet online house I took round three, four, and five sprinkles, but round three, four, five uh, sub sprinkles. So he has to win by submission in those rounds, but you get um, like stupid increased odds. So I just put 0.17 units on all those. Round three sub is plus eleven hundred. Round four sub is plus fourteen. Round five sub is plus eighteen. I feel like I feel like he actually could even get it sooner because Storley if Storley fights the way he fights, he's gonna put himself in some danger. But A, Storley looks to have really good submission defense for what it's worth when he's fresh. And B, you gotta imagine there's gonna be some type of there's gotta be some type of strategic adjustment. And maybe they try to strike for the first rounders round and a half or two, right? So that's kind of what I'm accounting for with that. But um, I feel like round three is the round gun in my head, and I sprinkle three, four, and five because if it gets that far, Storley's going to be in bad shape. And Gracie, whether he's up on the scorecards or down, he's always looking for that finish. So that's what I played there for Bellator. I'm not going to talk about the rest because I didn't play anything there um, or look into anything, right? So fair enough. All right. Uh, that time is 5.40 Bellator and... 50-50. All right. UFC Fight Night at 51. UFC Fight Night 201. UFC Vegas 48. UFC Walker versus Hill. I'm going to break that down from top to bottom. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can on this one. The in-depth breakdown, of course, at MMAJunkie.com. We're on Fight Day. You can also check out my news section, which, again, has been fairly accurate this year. With the way the picks have been going, um, main card, picks and prognostications. Again, it's going to be kind of a crazy card. It's not a card I want to attach a lot of money on um, on this card, by the way. But I'll tell you where I put my money regardless. More than I thought, so for whatever that's worth. But still, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I didn't bet anything on this main event, which was supposed to be 
Desanya's phys, uh, Fiziev, um, but we got uh, Jamal Bolt the Door if you're coming in. Uh, minus 240 and Johnny Walker. Walker Johnny plus 195. Um, yeah, man. Uh, you know, Jamal, man, he. He, uh, just like Jamal in Finding Forrester, he, you know, he used to play some ball, but he's got more skills. He's not just a, he's not just an athlete, man. You know, underestimate this kid at your own power, peril. He, he does have some smarts outside of, you know, going back into Paul Craig's guard. Um, I kind of get that. The guy has really good uh, underhook awareness in the clinch, like actually really good. So it kind of made sense that he had it hardwired to go for some cross control uh, when he had the half guard to immediately want to establish a cross under hook. Of course, that gave Paul Craig an overhook, which, you know, again, in, in Hill's defense, there's not many people at heavyweight or light heavyweight um, who can, you know, who can swing hips like a pendulum uh, out from an overhook. You know, that's why, I like, tall, big guys that can do that are real dangerous. You know, shots of my uh, catch wrestling coach, Neil Melanson. And could wreak havoc, especially in his day from, you know, being a big guy, a big long guy who can move like that, because not a lot can, right? Um, and, hey, all prospect losses tend to happen by submission. He comes back, you know, granted, Crute, you know, fights, you know, he always fights reckless, but seemed a little bit extra reckless and stupid even for him. Still, Jamal Hill looks great. Can't take anything away from him there. Um and uh, I, you know, I just like I just like what I'm hearing from him. Uh, I went back and watched some of his uh, other regional footage. He actually, you know, chains pretty decently to and from a single leg and can competently finish from there. You know, I went back and watched his five rounder with Daquan Townsend. Um, his gas tank's not bad, all considering his it's only his fourth fight. His chin isn't impervious because he gets rocked in that fight too with some hooking counters. So that's going to be something to watch for. That being said, I feel like his hooking counters, particularly from Southpaw. Will be more potent on on Johnny Walker, who is two and two against UFC Southpaws. I believe he got club and subbed against Wagner and Prado uh, outside of the UFC, and then um, Clitson Abreu, of course, knocks him out with a checking hook. He gets rocked with hooks and checking hooks a lot throughout his career, whether he wins or loses Walker. And the two Southpaws that he beat in the UFC, of course, was uh, Misha Serkinov going through a really tough stretch, and he catches him with a flying knee right off the bat. Really hard to. Know what to make of that. And then, of course, um, who was his other freaking Southpaw win? Sorry, bear with me here. Um, Johnny Walker. Sorry, pulling him up if you're shouting. Apologize, I'll get this. I'll get it. Uh, Khalil Roundtree, of course. That's right, Khalil. Um, got him in the clinch. Um, but yeah, I'm still going to stick with that Southpaw read though. I think that, you know, Southpaws are still going to have trouble, especially one who does well pressuring guys at the cage. Whereas Johnny Walker, even pre John Kavanaugh off the back foot, be safe and keep it flowy and fainty. Um, even, even still, uh, before that, uh, Johnny Walker had a, had a bad habit of getting pushed back to the fence and costing him an Anderson fight, costing him against Krylov. Um, and again, costed him on the regional scene, too. That's where his finishes end up taking place at. And he's in the small cage here, and he's against a guy who's been in the small cage a bunch and, you know, will fairly consistently pressure. And I think he's going to tutor the body and right hook him upstairs to the chin or check right hook him when Johnny Walker comes in. I got Jamal by first-round knockout. Bolt the door if you're coming in. That's right, Jamal. Uh, pedo, pedo, Forrester. Putting the money on him. 
I'm not, though. I'm not. You know, we've seen Jamal throw out the game before. You know, he's not beyond doing that. I'm quoting Finding Forrester, another obscure damn movie from 2000. Gus Van Sant. Jesus, damn. Wasn't even that good. Um, yeah. All right. So we'll go to the uh, the next fight. Um, co-main event. <laughs> you know, I don't know why people even we can give that distinction. Like, UFC has been caring about their co-main events since, on fight nights, at least since 2019. No offense, because uh, I'm actually uh, on Kyle Dukakis. Kyle Dukakis, minus 290 versus Jamie. Talking about a night wolf. Uh, Pickett, uh, plus 230 for the night wolf. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I want to root for Jamie Pickett. Seems like a really nice dude, hardworking dude. Um, good for him getting not just one, but now two UFC wins. But, man, it was life or death in those wins. Man, did he have to hustle out takedowns. And um, this is going to be a tough matchup for him. You know, he's technically 0-2 against UFC-level southpaws. I know he beat that on his third try at Contender Series. He beat a very undersized um, southpaw, and he looked good striking against him. And he's even had moments against others uh, like Tafon and Chukwi, despite losing a clear decision. It's his confidence to where even he rocks the guys. It's like it's almost like he can't believe it. Um, he did obviously in that third contender series swing at bat, but again, you know, no offense to that gentleman was not very, um, you know, was not very good. Not technically UFC level fighter. Didn't make it then, so he doesn't count. Uh, that's why he's officially 0-2 against UFC Southpaw's Jamie Pickett. And, but even against a, a raw striker, not even a striker, he's more of a submission guy, Joseph Holmes. But a, but a tall guy striking with a tall guy, I should say. Um, despite it being a debutante and having an experience edge, sure he won, but he was uncomfortable and even noted how uncomfortable he was with that. Um, despite quote unquote getting more comfortable with the cameras, well now he's going to have an even t- another tall guy um, with better striking and a southpaw in Chris Dawkins, Dukakis, uh, purple belt under the Bang Muay Thai system, working working the boxing down there in Philly, um, and I think he's going to make him really uncomfortable at range, which will probably make. Pickett go to his plan B that has recently become his plan A, which is shooting takedowns, whether it's against the fence or in the open. He shoots. He shoots to counter blitzes. He shoots to get takedowns. He shoots out of panic. He just shoots. But are you really going to shoot against a tall guy who specializes in bravo chokes and front chokes like Chris Dawkins? I know Jamie Pickett is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, but he's not beyond being subbed, and he's facing a, a black belt in Chris Dawkins who's more experienced and you know, can competent can, can uh, you know uh, capitalize from those positions, um, and then add in the fact that it's the small cage. Um, I feel like Dawkins is coming into his own. Uh, for better or worse, Dawkins kind of pushes into the fire, right? We saw that in his in in some losses, in fact. But in this case, I think it's going to help him. So I took Dawkins's one leg of a two leg parlay. And you know me, I like to beef up my parlay legs with potential added bonuses. Um, so I took Dawkins inside the distance at plus 200 for a half unit. I know it's kind of harder to tell which path he, he could do a decision here, and the odds reflect that it is harder to tell. But for plus 200 and how I feel and how I see it happening, that's where my will... I don't for, force myself to take a bonus. You guys know that. So I'm not forcing myself, but... I do like that number, and I took it for as high as a half unit, so plus 200. If that hits, it makes back this parlay. Um, or it makes back the exposure I have in one of my favorite fighters who's coming down later. But not this next fight, uh, although one of my low-key favorites, Parker Porter, cardio machine, 
minus 265 versus Allen Badeau, plus 215. I'm taking Porter here. Feels like it could be a trap fight because Porter gets rocked in a lot of his fights, especially early, whereas that's Badeau's only shot. But Badeau's not even like a kickboxer like Gon was. Like, he said he just started for fun, like, not even 10 years ago, and it looks like it. You know, he just jumped into a bunch of random fights in Asia. It was, like, beating some randos over there who were, like, undersized. Like, he fought, like, a 5'9 heavyweight who fought, like, another heavyweight or a light heavyweight, like, Japanese guy, like, 5'9 light heavyweight. Like, these are the guys he was fighting over there. Um, you know? Uh, so I don't, I don't know what the competition was like over there, you know? Um... And then, you know, he's over in TKO, and he, he comes in off of a third-round TKO, but if you go back watch that fight in the organization, he gets washed in that fight. He gets beat down by a guy whose weakness seems to be his ground game and, like, was asking for his purple belt, which meant he was only a blue belt. And the guy looked like a black belt against Badeau. Badeau, of course, gets washed by Tom Aspinall, but then, you know, doesn't even look good against Nascimento. who gets that fight overturned, granted, but, like, and we thought that Nascimento was going to get the sub. And like when and Nascimento, who doesn't seem like that good mental fortitude, was able to come back after being rocked, but not just come back, but like when he decided to put on the strikes on him, um, Bado just folded, man. Uh, so I, I like Parker Porter here. I don't want to pay that price. Um, and I don't want to be exposed to that kind of chalk from a heavyweight in um, a parlay like that. Uh, this level, so I stayed away to be honest, but I I uh, feel like it's Porter here is the right pick. Um, next fight, Nicholas M uh, Mata minus 170, Jim Miller plus 150. You guys guessed it, I'm on Jimmy Miller, Jimmy fucking Miller son. Uh, although you could accuse me of betting with my heart, and although I don't have to really defend myself, I can just say value bet. Jim Miller was open at minus 185. Uh, now he is, you know, plus 155. That's that's value all day. Uh, aside from that, I also think he might be the more durable party of the two, even though Nicholas Mota is almost 10 years younger uh, and has, uh, even though he's 10 years younger, he's been knocked out the same amount of times as Miller, despite Miller having over three times as many fights. Mota's fought southpaws before, um, but his chin doesn't seem great, you know? Like, checking shots can get him. Like, his left hook's his best shot, and that's definitely going to be a danger to Miller, who got rocked by a left hook in his last time out. Left hook is the southpaw killer, folks. Left hook definitely going to be live, but he likes to variate his left hook to the body and combo it and lever it off the same side, and I feel like he's going to open himself up to the check hook that Miller's been throwing for years. Um, and then if he throws his right hand, Mata... I think if he overthrows that, he's going to open himself up to inside counter cross, inside slips slash uh, counter crosses that Miller has quietly developed this last half of the decade. He's been quietly his best shots. Got him his knockout last time out. You know, set up his club and sub against Guida. Um, won him the rematch against Lozon. Uh, it goes back, back and back. That shot. It's really been a strong one. Quietly, old dogs do learn learn new tricks to an extent. You know. And I feel like those shots are going to be live. Miller could even get the knockout here with the way Moda's chin is. Um, but Moda, not just giving up guillotine and RNC. Granted, it was to Glyco Franca, a giant lightweight who's now a welterweight where he should be. And he's giant for that weight class, even whereas Moda's an undersized lightweight like Miller. Um, you know, he's lost to the two submissions Miller gets all the time for club and sub, which is 
uh, RNC and guillotine. Um, he almost gave way to an armbar in a recent fight as well, in the same, in the exact same fashion Roosevelt Roberts gave um, to Jim Miller because he will uh, sacrifice technique for urgency in order to get up Moda Will, which means he'll give that back. He'll uh, have some sloppy get-ups that a guy like Jim Miller can snatch some backs, necks, and or arms, and maybe even legs to get on top. Um, although that'd be dangerous because Moda, again, this guy is is a natural puncher. But he doesn't have the chin for it. I don't think he has a submission defense either. And, and furthermore, even in the fights where he was able to go to decision, which is kind of a worry here, especially if you take a potential under as the hedge um, for a Moda win, which, by the way, if you can get it for minus 140 or under, I don't blame you. That's playable chalk in my book, under 2.5. But at the bet online, they actually have fight doesn't go the distance for the same price as the under, minus 140. So you're essentially getting uh, two and a half minutes for free. Um, I feel like that's a that's a good hedge. And yes, Moda, you know, as, as he's gotten more mature and his competition's gotten harder, which is often the case for a lot of these fighters, even with low decision rates, will have their decisions around these kind of fights. That being said, you look at his last two fights, which were decision, and there's one point where he rocks. He, he I, I noticed this is a pattern throughout his fights, is if he doesn't get guys out of there, his record shows that he's do or die, and this is why, because there are flashes, even in fights that he wins, even fights that he wins by decisions, both of his recent ones. Again, go, go watch him. He hurts both fighters multiple times and lets them back into the fight multiple times. The one guy in his second-to-last fight, he hurts him late into the round after he's been dominating him. And the guy who has, like, zero wrestling, he just looks way outmatched. After getting a rock, the guy somehow gets, like, a standing back take, a la, like, uh, Sean Strickland. And uh, shout-out to Verbal Tap. I still owe them on a bet, by the way. I have not forgot about that. I still owe um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Phillips his bet. But their recent guest was the guy who subbed Sean Strickland, like, standing. And it was, like, similar to that. And then in his Contender Series fight, he bashes this guy's head in, who Devontae Smith knocked out, so the guy can be knocked out. Um, he, like many of Moda's fighters, haven't fought since, so they weren't particularly proven before. And we really still haven't gotten to get, get a beat on him since because a lot of these guys haven't fought since the pandemic, right? It's kind of level of competition, too, that Moda's fighting for what that's worth. Um, but that guy gets his face bashed in Contender Series, and even though the refs tell him to fight back, the guy is, it was unfair. The guy was there, even though it looked bad. He actually was, like, hitting and, and having his best round in round three after being almost knocked out a bunch of times and dominated. Like, Moda, like, that's the extent that he lets guys back into fights. Um, so for that reason, I played Miller, Moneyline, at point six six units. Six, six, six. A number of the beast. Hell and fire. Sorry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know the popular play might as well play him inside the distance. I did, but um, I like to give a dog's play for odds checker. So Miller was my dog play, but I do write in there that if you want to add value, you go inside the distance, which I did as well. Uh, at point three five units for plus two sixty at plus two sixty five. Um, so that almost gets me another extra hundred. Um, dollars if you know you know if you're if you're doing units like I do at least, um, and that's like a pretty much a hundred dollars exposed and potentially two hundred dollars back on Miller if he wins. If he wins, it's probably going to be inside the distance. So part of me was thinking of a hedge, but I'll say that maybe 
again, I'm going to need like minus 140 range or lower on under 2.5 or fight doesn't go to go. And I think this is going to be my strategy, folks. We're, you're still waiting for me to drop my first leg of that parlay. It's probably the more dangerous leg according to the numbers and my, my feelings as well. So if that leg drops, which happens before the Miller fight, not right before, but enough time before, and the odds are where I like it, then I think I may double down and try to make back the one unit I didn't have for my parlay, and I'll lay 1.4 or whatever the chalk is to get an even unit back for the under to either have an added bonus for a Miller win or, you know, to either, again, it's, it's either going to cover my Miller play as a hedge or if Miller does win, it's hopefully going to cover and or add to uh, my parlay, either hedge, you know, what I expose for my parlay, right, because I always do one unit on my parlay for the most part. Um, but yeah, I got Miller here. Um, closing on the main card, Joaquin Buckley minus 170, uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan um, plus 150. Uh, yeah, money coming on Buckley. I don't know why. I figure people will be fading him with the, the the dust tactical guy in his corner. I know he did some training in Extreme Couture, but it's hard to tell with Buckley. He's so nomadic, and I feel like he he tried to be maybe because he was gun shy or actively trying somewhere between both his last fight. But generally, the stuff that catches him kind of seems like it's going to be there. Um, he has a lot of the same tells, a lot of the same offenses. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think he's as durable because he gets rocked win or lose a lot of the times as Abdul Razak al I know you never want to bet, much less, I, for me and my sensibilities, pick one-round or bust fighters. But even when he's been busted, it's not like he, you know, outside of the one-shot Chaos Williams, um, he's not getting put out. The guy shows a hell of a chin. He's hard to get out of there. And now he, this is his second camp at Colorado. Uh, we didn't get to see his cardio because he iced D, D. Chirico right away. Which, by the way, DeChirico, who's not a dedicated southpaw, he'll always fight the open stance. But for comparison purposes, it was the only southpaw of note in uh, in Al Hassan's sample. And he essentially ices uh, DeChirico immediately. But the fact that he said he was reading the slip to the outside but was able to adjust to the inside, well, that's exactly what Buckley does. And Razak Al-Hassan showed that he can already read these things. So between that and the durability and the potential improved cardio from the Denver training camp at high elevation and not having to cut the weight to 170 anymore, um, I actually picked uh, Razak Al-Hassan here. Uh, I'm not going to play it because it's a volatile-as-fuck fight, but ain't no way I'm going to play the chalk here, even if even if you pick Buckley, I'd be careful on that, folks. My pick is Al Hassan. Next fight, um, David Onama minus one forty five. Gabriel Benitez. I'm excited for this one. You guys know I'm a big fan of Benitez, um, one of my favorite tough Latam fighters. But even though Billy Quarantillo has put some fighters out in his day, you know I'm a big fan of Billy Quarantine, Billy Quarantillo, Buffalo, Florida. Um, you know. Maybe Benitez is getting older, you know, and it's, it's starting to wear um, his miles from the striking wars he's been on. Whereas David Onama seems like he's built to go to war, man. Um, athletic, young, well-rounded, well-trained, with a good coach in his corner. Now in a full camp. I really liked him. I know you'd be careful grading someone in a loss, but I really liked him in a losing effort. I'm going to take him here, but this is a wait-and-see fight regardless. Of course, I'll be happy for Benitez especially Benitez at plus money for Benitez backers out there. But this is not a fight I really want action on either way. I want to wait and see. I want the boat best for both guys. I want a good fight. So no action for me there. 
However, second leg of the parlay will be next as far as action for me. Um, Jessica Rose Clark minus 165, even lower now. Money coming in on Stephanie Edger plus 145. Um, I know a lot of these uh, a lot of these female fights can scare off a lot of betters. They can have certain swings in it from a heavyweight perspective, as in a sense of uh, results, not because of finishes, but because of swings and result from favorite to underdog upsets. Rose Clark fought a bit close, uh, you could say, in her last fight, um, and has been in you know closely contested affairs. But honestly, I rewatched the tape on Stephanie Edger, and I was not impressed. Um, even her judo looks very counterable and very basic, what you'd expect from... Nothing new you, you, you haven't seen from judo practitioners uh, in the last decade or so, and nothing to write home about in that department to stand up to the best ones, regardless of gender. Um, Cormier keeps saying she looks better in her second fight on the feet, but she just looks lost, man. You know, she has a faint jab, maybe a two. Maybe she can read your first shot, can try to, uh, you know, anticipate a rear-handed parry and work off a counter from there. But past that initial layer, she gets lost, tense. Her arms go out like a mummy, and she her eyes kind of close, and her head turns. Like, she looks super uncomfortable. Um, Jocelyn Edwards, granted, it was close, and, 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 and Rose Clark, like Bisping was saying on commentary, could have done more to put, put a gap between her via the striking. But Edwards, much better than giving credit for, um, much more athletic than, uh, much more athletic and strong than Edgar, much more dangerous than Edgar, much more natural fighting sensibilities than Edgar, much more athletic, um, more dangerous fight uh, than Edgar. Uh, he's even on the ground. Edgar doesn't look great. She's got like one armbar, armbar win in her first win. Like, she's got a, tiki, a doctor stoppage over Mara Romero Borella, who you can't really count her. She's got the weirdest sample size in the book. Um, another, or a second TKO stoppage comes over to, like, a 40-year-old in a losing streak, I think, who hasn't fought since. Experiences she may be, only lost, only, you know, n never really beat anybody good. And then, of course, another weird stoppage in her last fight, which I don't blame Mark Smith uh, as hard as others because of the body language. Um, Shana Young put off, but that was bad. I mean, Shana Young's like a flyweight. She's small, uh, especially compared to Edger. And even though she said she did some wrestling in high school or whatever, and like Edger's not a great wrestler. Um, she's a lifelong karateka uh, who does striking, and she was undersized. So like, of course, she was gonna get um, rag ragdolled when she got to the ground. Uh, whereas Jesse Jess. Has really revamped her wrestling despite knee injury, despite popularity. You know, you think she could go one route? No, man. She's 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 in it to win it, man. Immersing herself. CSA for striking. Daniel Cormier, aka wrestling. Team Alpha Male submission grappling. Um, just doing the damn thing. And if she does have that grappling and wrestling in her back pocket, she should be the clearly better striker and should roll to a win here. Um. She opened at minus 200, 220, which I agree, but I also get people fading that. But she came down to minus 175, and that was more than enough for me to, you know what, let's just keep it simple. Let's go off of the people that you know we trust, um, that have made us money before. We got a better read than all these debutantes and wild matchups. Um, I feel like this one should be pretty clear. So I took Jessica Rose Clark, minus 175, paired her up with Dawkins at minus 260 for a plus 117 parlay. 
Um, and to b beef up the parlay legs with potential bonuses, I took Rose Clark by decision. This, I don't see either of them finishing each other, so the, I, think, I think the fight goes there regardless. And I think Clark wins, and if she wins, she wins by decision. So you're going to give me plus 125. Well, I did my, I'm back up to my normal half units. We're back in Vegas. Uh, better better uh, doesn't mean we won't get uh, we won't lose to the judges we won't get jacked by the judge or anything like that not that I'm a fan of robbery but you know what I mean I'm just saying there's a better crop of judges that you should respect uh, you know uh, we all should probably you know, try to respect more and also while still holding them accountable uh, you just appreciate those judges more after coming from a place like Houston so we'll see half a unit Clark by decision Let's see if I get burned by that um, but yeah, and if that does burn, then I'll be looking at that Mata Miller under to make back. Um, this is another flyer of the night here. It's not on the sheet, but you'll get it here. Chess Gillian minus 200, Mark Striegel plus 170. I know I've been fading, um, retiring fighters, but sometimes older and more experienced fighters getting the fight they want. Well, that's also been an angle I'm on, and I think that's going to be the case here with Skelly. Um, Striegel been training with the MMA lab, so he's got good training partners for this. Um, but... Uh, I don't know how long he was there. It only shows him being there for a week. The rest of the time he was in the Philippines. Um, the dude seems like kind of glass cannon. Cannon hasn't fought great competition. He's got better wrestling, or not better wrestling credentials than Chad. Skelly's an all-American wrestler. Striegel has wrestling credentials, but I don't know how good of a wrestler he is when you really look at the footage and who he's having to wrestle, much less a big 145-er uh, with a funk stylings and submission stylings like Skelly. Skelly also deceptively... Tough chin and heavy hands. So like maybe he could even knock this guy out. Um, so uh, one of my last chances to bet Skelly, and I know he's retiring, but he's not like, ah, uh, you know, and he's had health issues, but it's not because of his health issues. It's not because of this. He's not planning retirement parties. He's still leaving the door open. He's just, just trying to move on to another career to make money because the guy's had some bad luck. So if anything, this is kind of the retiring scenario that I'm most comfortable with if I had to be comfortable with one gun to the head. And... Last chance to play a guy like Skelly, who has made me a ton of money. Shouts to that Kevin Susan win, especially. Um, I took Skelly inside the distance. Same odds as the decision prop for Clark. Plus 125. Same risk. Half a unit I'm laying. Um, yeah. All right. Um, I haven't been able to round robin, but I'll tell you which of the three of the four props I'm going to parlay. Because I only can parlay, so I'm only taking three, not four. But uh, if you're in a house to do round robin, I would not hate any of you guys to round robin these four and let me know how it does. Uh, and the price you're comfortable with, of course. Not telling you where to put your money, just saying. I just envy round robiners. Because um, your boy here would have been hitting them these last couple of weeks, you know? Anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Pierce minus 380, Christian Rodriguez. Didn't go look into this one. Uh, JSP should win, but yeah, again, not enough sample size. Uh, opposite the JSP side, I'll take Pierce. Um, Diana Belbita, minus 120. Money coming in on Gloria De Paula, uh, plus 100. Still going to stick with Belbita to win this, but not a fight I want anything to do with. Um, Chan Anhelger, well-rounded guy, minus 250, but I don't know if he's that well-rounded. Jesse Strader, don't know a lot about him. Didn't look into it. Don't know if I want to lay the chalk on a contender series guy straight out of the shoot. But I'll take Ann Helliger. And lastly but not leastly, Mario Bautista, minus 350, will get you into the plus 175 range if you add him to the two-leg parlay. But I'm already more exposed in those fights than I like, so I didn't. But more than worthy parlay leg against a guy who I think is going to try to grapple with him, Jay Perrin. But Bautista, I think he learned those lessons with uh, Sanhagen. Um, 
And Bautista also recently got his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt to go with what should be a solid striking advantage on the feet and down the stretch. So I'll take Bautista there. All right, how did we do on time? One minute 19, all right. Going to recap, pick some plays here. Um, Bellator real quick, taking Gracie over Storley. Uh, played him inside the distance, plus 115. Gracie, that is for three quarter units, also sprinkled on rounds three, four, and five. Not yet in a regular house, but rounds three, four, and five by sub, uh, 0.17 units apiece there. Um, for UFC uh, Vegas 48, taking Jamal over Walker, taking Dukakis over Pickett, taking Parker Porter over Badeau, taking Milasan over Mokta, taking Al Hassan over Buckley, Taking Onama over Benitez. Taking Clark over Edger. Taking Skelly over Strigel. Taking Pierce over Rodriguez. Taking Belbita over De Paula. Taking Anheliger over Strader. Taking Bautista over Perrin. Parlay Dacus and Clark at plus 117 for a unit. Play Miller at plus 155 for 0.66 units. Also play Miller inside the distance plus 265 for 0.35 units. Clark by decision, plus 125 for 0.5 units. Dukakis inside the distance, plus 200 for 0.5 units. I'm going to parlay those three. Um, specifically for what it's worth, though, you can round robin the fourth, which is Chaz Skelly inside the distance, plus 125 for half a unit. Avoid what you like. Play with what you like. Good luck on your picks and plays, folks. Thanks for uh, listening to another late episode. I apologize. I promise to steer the ship correctly it was major setbacks at the beginning of the year but we're still making money we're still trying to have fun and hopefully you guys are able to stay healthy good luck on your picks and plays and always protect your yes.